This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning. We've got a very, very serious show this morning, but some amazing guests on, and um, hopefully they'll be all joining us in a moment. We're going to be doing something slightly different this morning, where we are going to have a panel of guests on, and basically what's going to happen is that we are going to have all the guests on speaking about their stories, and we've got three people on talking about their stories of abuse and coercive control. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna hear us talk about the stories, but then we're also gonna talk about how can we support our colleagues in school? What can we do to support those we work with? What can we do to spot the signs of coercive control or spot the signs that someone might be in an abusive relationship? And we are going to talk to three different people who are on. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. 
our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. FE Week reports on Ofsted findings following new inspections within the sector. Recent inspections at three colleges found that standards had not slipped in the decade since their last inspection, while three colleges retained their outstanding grades. The three colleges in Yorkshire were last inspected 10 years ago, but the latest reports highlight the high standards that have been maintained over time. The inspections took place at Notre Dame Catholic Sixth Form College in Leeds, Barnsley College and Greenhead College, both in West Yorkshire. Outstanding colleges are subject to full inspections for the first time this year since 2010, after an exemption was lifted. In Kent, the Isle of Thanet News website reports on the opening of Phys Lab at St Peter's Junior School. The purpose-designed hub within the school grounds enables children to enjoy hands-on experience in exploring the world of physics and general science. The hub was opened in partnership with Ogden Trust. Nathan Williams, the school's award-winning science lead, says the opening of the hub had been fantastic and that children and staff from the school and those from partnership schools were looking forward to exploring a range of scientific learning opportunities. The hub will also be accessible to local schools not in the partnerships. Cameron Ogden, chair of Ogden Trust, stated, Physics as a subject has huge importance. We are determined that everyone have access to inspiring physics education. Many media outlets report on the arrest of three people on suspicion of involvement in female genital mutilation at an unregistered school in Birmingham. Police, prompted by Ofsted inspectors who had reportedly found a locked room containing medical equipment and a bed, searched the school. Ofsted inspectors were originally following up reports of an unregistered school, but concerns were raised about possible illegal practices, so police were called in. In recent weeks, the Department for Education has announced an increase in powers for Ofsted inspectors so that unsafe, unregistered schools could be shut down. Good Housekeeping has published advice for students in managing their finances. The information on their website includes advice on how to access additional support, eligibility for tuition fee loans and maintenance loans, as well as the implications for repayment. It also outlines other funding pots some students may be able to access. As the cost of living continues to rise, the website reminds students and parents that the deadline for student finance for new students is the 20th of May. In South Africa, the Minister of Higher Education will table a budget for the department's strategic vision for the coming year. The budget will focus on COVID recovery and provide fully subsidised financial support to students. 
It will also help to increase participation rates amongst people with disabilities and women. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello. This week, we're going to take a look at the much-coveted presentation clicker. It's a must-have device for a lot of teachers out there, as it allows you to move slides whilst AFK. For those new to 2-Minute Tech, AFK is away from keyboard. Ranging in price from £8 to £30, this classroom essential allows you to stretch your legs and make a few shapes while you dance around the room. Some of us have a mandatory piece of blue tack over the built-in laser pointer. Others have invested in a bit of duct tape. So we ensure the device meets health and safety regulations. And most of us have a small stash of AAA batteries in a secret place that we never admit to having. Well, Clicker, I'm telling you to stand aside. The mini wireless multimedia keyboard is taking your place. Having a lower price range of £8 to £15 and being able to do everything that Clicker does except blind pupils, as it has no laser pointer, and wait for it. It is rechargeable. You have full keyboard and mouse control from anywhere in your classroom. You can move slides on, Alt-Tab to switch applications, type, use Spacebar to stop and start YouTube clips for questioning. Battery life is quite honestly ridiculously long, and if it runs out, a five-minute charge on the USB lead will get you through your lesson. All I can say is if you're considering replacing your clicker or are simply a gadget magnet, this is a must-have. Search for mini wireless keyboard in any online shop. The only thing I'd say is get one with a light up keyboard if you present with the lights off as always don't forget to check out the tt radio 2022 twitter feed tell us what you want to know about tech i'm steve woods and that was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio now it's interesting i'm just gonna start by saying that i invited a lot of people on today to talk about their stories. And initially, a lot of people said, yeah, of course, I'd love to share my story. I would love to help others. I wanna, you know, get the word out there and make it okay to talk about this. But what happened is actually quite a few people, well, everyone except for the three that I've got on today, have all agreed. Um, the three agreed, but then basically what's happened is everyone else has pulled out because they're too scared to talk. And I think that is the key thing that we need to focus on is the fact that this is a serious issue. People are scared to talk about the stories because they're still scared about that relationship they were in, about their controller the person who has controlled them or is still controlling them or is still abusing them in some way. Um, but also scared to talk about their story because they are scared about what other people might think. And that is why it is so important that we talk about this. And the more we talk about it, the more we make it okay. And that is the key thing. So we're going to get on. Hopefully we'll have no more technical issues this morning. And apologies for my opening jingle not starting. I'm not sure what happened there. But we're going to get into this. We're going to go and we're going to hope that nothing else happens. But we have got this morning, we are joined at the moment by Ruth Dodsworth. 
um, and Emily, who we're calling Emily this morning. Um, and they're on at the moment. And we are then going to be joined as well by Katie Lane as well, who I'm just waiting for to join our conversation. But Ruth Dodsworth, you will know as a British broadcaster and journalist, and you may have seen her on the ITV weather. And just last week, she had a documentary on called Sold for My Partner, The Hidden Abuse. I promise you, I didn't know the name of the show before this radio show, so apologies, um, Ruth. Um, but I'm gonna get Ruth in and I'm gonna let her introduce herself. And hello, Ruth, are you in? Hi there. Yes, I am. Just checking that you can hear me okay. Yeah, I can. Oh, brilliant. Good. Uh, sorry about, we've had a bit of technical issue this morning, but hopefully you will <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, first of all, can I just say thank you so very much um, for inviting me to be part of your, your show this morning. Um, I was just listening to, to your words there where you were saying that people are frightened to talk um, and don't talk and don't speak out. Um, my situation um, has become very public, um, very, if I can put it into as, as, as you know, fewer words as possible. I was in um, an abusive relationship for the best part of 20 years, um, and it was, it, it was um, an emotionally abusive relationship and a physically abusive relationship. Um, I was married to this man, I had two children with this man. Um, I look back now on the last 20 years and wonder... Um, as so many people ask me why I didn't realize, why I didn't get out sooner, why I didn't ask for help sooner. So many questions, so many what ifs. Um, but all I can say to you is that since my story became public and, and it, you know, when I say became public, it, it hit headlines around the world. Because I think for the first time, someone who, uh, like myself, has a job that is quite a public role. And, you know, it, it's, it's uh, I'm a journalist, but I'm also a weather presenter, which by its, its very, you know, notion means that I'm, you know, there's a persona of the sort of the smiley, happy weather person. Um, <clears throat> but boy, was I living a double life. And, you know, it's only now I can look back on it. And I realized that that's exactly what I was doing. But I was trying to hide my actual life not just from the outside world, but from my friends, from my family and from myself too. So, you know, coercive controlling behavior, domestic abuse, however you want to phrase it, um, has the absolute power to ruin your life. It can, and, and actually it, it can take your life. And it's only because somebody, a friend of mine who I eventually confided in, said to me, if you don't get out of this, if you don't ring the police, I will. And a tipping point for me when my children basically rang me to tell me not to come home because my husband, their father, was going to kill me. And that's when I knew I had to make a call, ask for help and get out of that relationship. Yeah, and this is, this is the thing. It's that whole idea of it being so hidden. And yes. you went into work every day and no one knew what you were living with. No, this is so true. I mean, I... I think there's an element of, you know, I, I hit it from the outside world in a sense because almost it was easier because the minute you admit to someone and it doesn't matter who, the minute you admit that there's something wrong, then you have to admit it to yourself. And I think I spent a long, long time maybe just in, in sort of a, a self-preservation way trying not to admit that, that things were, I knew things were wrong, but I didn't know 
quite how wrong. And I certainly didn't know that the pattern of abuse that my now ex-husband was putting me through is actually called coercive here here in, in Wales where I live in the UK that that now is um it's criminal behavior I didn't know any of this but I spent so long almost shielding myself from it um day-to-day -day survival you do what you can to get by to, to protect yourself and your children and so to the people who say why didn't you get out sooner why didn't you ask for help why didn't you tell anybody why did we not know well actually it's it, it felt safer to stay in that relationship than it did to leave. And, you know, we, so many people like myself um, are in a situation where, you know, I, I was married to this man, as I said, he was father to my two children. He had absolute control over every single aspect of my life, you know, emotionally, physically, financially. Um, in a sense, he'd stripped away my contact with the outside world, my friends, my family, I, he'd taken my money so effectively I, I had no means to leave um and you know whether I wanted to or not and that you know gosh I certainly did want to get out but I didn't know how I didn't know who to ask I didn't know where to turn for help and I didn't know first and foremost if actually getting out was the right thing to do I think you know no, no one in my family had ever separated or divorced before um I didn't want my children to come from a broken home. I thought that keeping the family together was the right thing, when actually keeping the family together was the worst thing to do. And the, the, the family was broken already. Um, but I think getting out sometimes, and, and certainly for myself, was actually the hardest thing to do, easier said than done, and, and possibly the hardest decision I've ever made. But the very fact I'm sitting here right now talking to you and we're having this discussion means that it's the best decision I ever made because actually it saved me and it saved my family. Absolutely. And you're free now, which is yes. just yes. phenomenal. And it could have ended in such a different way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I look back really from day one and I recognize in his behavior, you know, um, early, early relationship, like so many relationships, a little bit of jealousy and possessiveness. And, you know, um, it, it's almost quite flattering. You almost think, well, he's doing it because he really loves me. But I, you know, I used to listen to him talking to friends and family and shouting and swearing, swearing at his, his elderly mother and, and people who used to work for him. And then quite quickly that then sort of became focused on me because I think as as his partner you know we moved in together quite quickly we married within a year I became very much the focus then of his his sort of behaviors his emotions his tempers and I think the problem was that with him it was it was I've sort of called it sort of the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome when he was lovely he was really really lovely but you never knew when the temper would flare and when you know when the nasty side would come out and I spent 20 years tiptoeing around living on eggshells trying to keep the peace and trying not to upset him trying to keep everything on an even keel and actually do you know what that 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 can destroy you it's it's so so hard to live like that it really is you know but it's amazing that you can live like that. And we talk about this, you know, we, I'm going back to the idea of the hidden abuse because yes. so many people live this yes, and, and hide you, it. Absolutely. And I, do you know, I mean, I, I can honestly say to you, I had no idea how many people were living like this. It's only after speaking out and after talking about what, what I went through that people now stop me in the street daily, write to me, text me, message me, email me, tweet me saying 
oh my gosh, because of what you said, because of, of, you know, your story, I now recognize in myself or in someone else. And I'm, you know, I'm overwhelmed and, and I, I'm heartbroken by just the sheer volume of people who are going through this. And, you know, I suppose in a sense, that's almost what's driven me to speak out and to keep speaking out is the very fact that if just one person listens to us and thinks, oh my gosh, that's me, or thinks, you know, I've got to get out, then, then, then we, have, we have helped, even if it's just one person to recognise in themselves or someone else, um, then, then this is all worth it. But, you know, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I did seek help. I did get out. I have been supported. Um, and in doing that, because of that, you know, I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm living actually a really happy and lovely life, the life I wish I'd lived 20 years ago. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want to say to people that, you know, you're not alone and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're if you're male, if you're female, if you're old, if you're young, it doesn't matter what what your background is, what your your economic sort of situation is, what your social standing. It really doesn't matter. Any one of us can be a victim of abuse. And it, it's just it's heartbreaking. It really is. And absolutely, it resonates with me that the minute you speak out, it's amazing how many people suddenly contact you and say, thank you so much for sharing your story. So I'm going to say on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for sharing your story because it does, it makes people braver. But the thing is, is the more we talk about this and the more we share our stories, the more it becomes normal. Yeah. And do you know what? I've said this so many times. It's I, it's almost I don't want to normalize it it shouldn't be normal but actually for a lot of us this is our normal and it's you know I think there's it sounds like a strange thing to say doesn't it but there's safety in numbers there's strength in numbers and knowing that you're not the only one that this is happening to other people actually I think for me has been well it, it it sounds very strange to say it's a help and a comfort, but actually in a very strange way it is because then you think, well, okay, actually maybe it wasn't something that I did. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. And actually, you know, so many other people have said the same thing. You know, you almost live with, well, what, what is it that I've done? What have I done wrong? What is it? Is it something I've said? Is it the way I behave? It's, you know, and actually far from it, it's them. It's not you. And, and you are not alone. You are not the only one living with this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. And the thing is, is, you know, as we saw from the amount of people who were going to talk, but then retracted because they were so scared. And this is the thing. This is this is what we need to do is is about talking about it, but making it a topic that we do talk about and we we recognize that it is happening and that we need to support and that we need to help people in this situation. Absolutely. Do you know, this time my ex-husband was sentenced uh, just over a year ago. So in a strange way, for me, this is still, it's still new. And I still, you know, I, I live my life day by day. So some days I'm absolutely fine. Other days, something, you know, a sound, a, sound, a smell, a sight, something, a, a piece of music will, will sort of set me you know take me back and I but day by day I get stronger and what I've come to realize I mean you know I I work in the communications industry I am a communicator so in a sense I have a platform and I have a voice and I want to be the voice for the person who was maybe going to join us today and then pulled out because they felt that they couldn't they couldn't use their voice they couldn't put into words they couldn't express how they felt because you know let's face it at the end of the day we are talking about the most dehumanizing degrading humiliating moments of our lives things that have happened to us 
that that shouldn't happen to anybody that no no one should have to go through what what we have been through um and it, it it's very very hard to put it into words sometimes and i'm getting stronger and i'm learning and i'm i'm also very aware that, that there's a great responsibility here to use this voice and this platform for those who can't, who aren't yet strong enough, maybe never will be. And that's okay because they don't have to speak. We'll speak for them and with them, you know, because we're, we're, we're going on this journey. We're in this, we're in this together. It's a, it's a very strange club that no one really wants to be a member of, but actually, you know, there's safety in that and we've got each other. And if someone can't talk, I'll, I'll do my best to talk for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you're doing an incredible job. And honestly, thank you so much. Um, so Ruth is here. And what I'm going to do is I've got two more guests here, um, Emily and Katie Lane. Um, and I'm going to bring them on. I met both of them actually on Twitter. Uh, Katie, I met about two years ago. Well, on Twitter, we haven't met face to face. But that we, we had a conversation because she contacted me after I began tweeting out my story. Um, and then Emily as well contacted me um, recently about, you know, her story. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring on Katie first and then I'll bring on Emily. And then I know, Ruth, you have to go at about 12. So what we'll do is sort of a panel where we will just discuss what we can do to help support people at work. Um, also what we can do to support those who are going through this, but also as a business or as a school, um, I think one of the things is in schools, we talk so much about domestic abuse and how we spot the signs in our pupils we're working with, but we never really talk about our colleagues. So I wanted to sort of bring the conversation to the idea of how can we spot signs of coercive control or how can we spot signs that someone could be in an abusive relationship and what can schools or any employee do to support their colleagues, their employees um, and create a safe space. Now, Ruth, just to start this, yes. can you just give us, because what you said about the idea that, you know, there's people in relationships um, where coercive control is a key yeah. factor, but they don't even know, they don't realize. Can you just define coercive control for us? So coercive control, as, as I now know and understand, is a form of domestic abuse, but it's hidden, it's insidious, it's not necessarily something visible, you won't necessarily go to work or school with bruises on your face. It can be something very, very different to that. So my situation was, um, yes, my, my husband, now ex-husband, was physically abusive, but the coercive and controlling behaviour that he um, exerted on me was, was, was I, I suppose, the best way of putting it, it was, it was, um, it was a stripping away of the outside world. So losing contact with friends, losing contact with colleagues and family, not having access to my own money, which meant then that, you know, he could control uh, where I went, my mobile phone, who I was talking to, uh, almost being a, in, in a sense under 24 hour surveillance. So he tracked my phone, he put a tracker on my car. When I was at home, um, he would follow me around the house if I went to the bathroom. He'd come with me, he'd stand outside, he'd come in if I was in the shower. 
uh, taking photographs of me, hundreds and thousands of photographs of me around the house, most of which I, I was not aware of, some I was aware of. And I, you know, I'd say to him, well, look, why, why do you want a photograph of me brushing my teeth? Just strange things, but, but you know, it, almost it was like being under 24-hour surveillance. But what I didn't realise was that whilst that was going on, my family had backed away because I didn't contact them and they stopped contacting me. My friends would invite me out and, and because I didn't have money, I wouldn't go. And so they stopped asking. So you know, in a sense, my whole world was this man. He made me so wholly dependent on him for absolutely everything. Um, and, and, and I suppose I made excuses to the outside world to justify that. But it's interesting because once my story became public and my colleagues and my friends knew the situation, as they've said to me, you know, since so many aspects of my behavior now make sense to them. So, for example, why I stopped going out, you know, even just having a coffee with the girls at lunchtime. Why, if they rang my phone, he would answer why uh, he would turn up at work unannounced. If I was away filming on a location, he would turn up. Uh, if I um, arrived at a hotel, the first thing I had to do was FaceTime to show him that I was where I said I was going to be and that I wasn't with anybody else. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a form of abuse, but it's very, very different in that, you know, it doesn't necessarily leave bruises, as I said, on your face. I mean, it, it, with, with me, he did, but not in every situation. Not every case is the same. But coercive controlling behaviour is the absolute stripping away of your identity, your self-worth, your, your value, and your, your, the isolation and the dependency is, is absolutely, completely and utterly total. And you don't necessarily realise it's happening to you until it's too late. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's so harrowing listening and so much resonates. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as you as said, said, it is, it is those, those are the deepest scars. scars. It's not, it's not the, you know, the bruises. We can deal with bruises. We can deal with the hits and the cuts. Yes. It's that deep internal trauma that we will always have with us now. I, I, you know, I look, I look, I'm an educated person. I come from a, a lovely, loving family home. Um, I never in a million years thought that I would end up in a situation where my ex-husband, one man, would so completely control me. I, when I met him, I had my own home. I had a good job. I had, you know, I, I had the, the, the social media, Instagram lifestyle. Everything was lovely. Um, I met him and everything changed. And I, I guess, I suppose what I've come to learn is that if it can happen to me, then it can happen to you too. A hundred percent. And that is such the truth because people have this idea of where coercive control happens or what type of family domestic abuse happens in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, my, my, I couldn't have come from a happier background, a happier home, uh, you know, a, a really good education. I had, in a sense, the old stereotypes, those are long gone. And this is the terrifying thing, isn't it? As, as independent as, and as, as, you know, educated and as strong as I was, I still lived in a coercive and controlling relationship for 20 years. Yeah, gosh. Okay, okay. wow. So... <laughs> If you're listening and any of this is got you thinking, it's got you thinking that maybe this is the type of relationship I'm in or this 
doesn't sound right or this this resonates with me, please listen to our stories. Please just listen to the advice that we give you. That's why we're having this conversation. And it's so important. And, you know, it's it's not an easy conversation to have and it's not easily listening, you know, but it's it saves lives. It, It can save you and it can help to save someone else. It absolutely can. And we've just we've just got to keep talking about it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. So I'm going to get Katie Lane in now and Emily. So first of all, Katie, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Nice to be here with you. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here to be able to tell my story today. Excellent. So Katie, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? And you've heard Ruth talk. Um, I think everyone's aware of Ruth's story. We, a lot of us watched um, the show on ITV the other evening. So Katie, do you want to share your story and introduce us? Okay. So um, my name's Katie Lane. I'm a senior leader in primary schools. Um, I've just qualified as a therapist as well. So um, I would say that I've got a really good, strong background around kind of understanding people, um, mental health and things like that. So I'm listening to Ruth's story and I'm hearing that, you know, um, there are some similarities, but there are also a lot of differences. And I think that just goes to show for anybody listening that um, if you are being abused at home, you know, it might not look the way that it did for Ruth because it certainly didn't for me. so it was made so that Ruth was, um, you know, very dependent on her husband. But for me, um, my experience was that my um, perpetrator, I'll call him, um, was made himself completely dependent on me. So um, we met. Um, we, he was a great guy. He was really kind. Um, we had two really good years where we were happy together. And then kind of cracks started to appear with his mental health. So I started to notice that he was really anxious and he had loads of problems at work, like he couldn't get on with people. And, um, you know, he was always like the victim. And I was thinking, well, what's going on here? And I was trying to unpick it with him and, you know, be a really supportive partner and be somebody that was really kind and, um, you know, and he moved jobs and then the same thing happened again. And I started to think, hang on, there's, there's like, you know, a pattern here. So, um, and I noticed that he would start to have some quite weird responses to things. So one of them being women's rights, which I kind of like didn't really understand. And I'm really open to, you know, people having equal rights across the board. And he would get like this bee in his bonnet and he would like go off on one and then it would be hard to bring back. And I think, oh, that's a bit strange. Maybe, you know, something's happened to him in the past. I don't know. Um, and as time gone, uh, gone on, you know, he's quite anxious. And I'd suggested to him, you know, is it a good idea if maybe you see your GP? Um, I think that maybe, you know, a bit of medication could help if he thought about therapy. Uh, and he did go along and he was quite, you know, open to it. And he started taking medication for anxiety. And, you know, he started to say, oh, it's like a veil's been lifted from me. And I, you know, I feel like a different person and you've really helped me. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling better about life than I ever had. Uh, and then just before lockdown... Um, I'd had a series of quite, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I've had a, quite a series of quite um, horrific operations because I've got a genetic condition uh, and he'd been really supportive through that. But in the last surgery before lockdown, you know, he'd been quite cross with me and there was a time when I was quite unwell and he flung a bag of um, dressings at me and hit me, you know, in my wounds. Uh, and I kind of slid down the wall in shock and thought, you know, maybe he's frustrated because I've been ill for so long. I don't know. And that was kind of like the first time that that happens. And I, I put it on the side, on the back burner and thought maybe it's because, you know, he's, he's upset. Or, and I was making excuses. I see that now. 
Um, and a little bit later on, we'd been doing some decorating and things at home, and um, he'd been at, he'd been um, at home with his father. So his father had come from where he lived to, to stay at the house to help with the decorating. And we'd been out for a drink. You know, it wasn't heavy drinking. It was a few beers. Came back, and he just went on one. And when I say on one, it was like a systematic rampage that went on for probably six hours. And we're talking smashing up every room of the house, breaking things, smashing hoovers, tipping things over, slamming doors. You know, the crockery all came out of the cupboard. It left the house in like a war zone. Uh, and I was at work the next day. I didn't sleep all night. <clears throat> I went, I was assistant principal at the time. I'd been awake all night, got up next morning, went to work, you know, processing what on earth has just happened to me. I, I just don't know. Came home and it was almost like, well, we don't speak about that now. And I hope that it was like a one-off. But when I tried to approach it, I mean, I'm, I would say I'm a fair person, but I can be, you know, confrontational if I need to, you know, in a kind way. And he wouldn't accept even the conversation about it. <clears throat> and this is when it began. This became like a regular thing. So he would um, get angry and just smash the house up. Um, you know, and this house was a house that I'd invited him to come and live in. It was my house, my things. Uh, you know, I'd spent a lot of time, money and effort in creating this lovely little home. It was my sanctuary. And he really, really did significant damage, um, you know, regularly. Then we started to see more significant issues. So we had things like um, there was one time where he was telling me that he's, he'd been hijacked by the FBI. And I'm thinking this is like really not good. Um, got him into therapy, um, wouldn't attend, um, said that I was forcing him to go. Um, and there was nothing wrong with him. And it was because of what I'd done or said. We had another episode on the M62 where he went absolutely bananas in the car. I don't really understand it to this day. Pulled over at the side of the road and he actually nearly physically pulled the door off the car, smashed the windscreen um, with his hands, ripped the um, ripped the wind, you know, the um, mirror in the car off. Uh, and I got out the car. I was physically sick at the side of the road. I thought I'm going to die here. I managed to physically fight him to get the keys to the car and got in the car and kind of he got in and I drove and it was terrifying. I took him to the mental health hospital. And when I got there, I was met by um, clinicians who told me that he was there against his will and that I'd kidnapped him and that I could be charged by the police for this. And I was obviously desperate for help, covered in blood. You know, it was really traumatic. Um, and it kind of went on and on and on um, until I just said to myself, I can't, next time this happens, the next time this happens, I'm going to ring the police um, for good. Now, there have been a series of escalations where the police have been called by my neighbours uh, and the police have come round and said, what's going on? And he'd said, well, we've had an argument, she's been difficult. And the police officers had said, you need to go out the house and go for a walk to calm down to him. And I'm thinking, you know, when he comes back, he was just as angry. It just went on and it went on and on. But the thing with it, with him, because it was mental health based, he was completely incoherent. So it was ranting. It was not understandable. It was terrifying. And he also had that superhuman strength that, you know, when we work with children who are in crisis, we know that they, you know, they're incredibly strong. They're difficult to calm. It was the same kind of thing. And I've worked in Prue settings and things. It was like that but with this giant man on the rampage in the house. And you know, there was times where he would, you know, strip naked and go up and down the street, you know, screaming and shouting. And I, I, I just don't know what more I could have done to kind of keep him well. Um, so I tried everything. Uh, the police came multi-times and did nothing. 
And then the final time he threw a mahogany chair across my kitchen, um, which shattered, took a chunk of plaster out the wall. And I just thought, I can't let you keep doing this to me anymore. Um, anyone who knows me will know that I'm quite a big character. I've got a lot of personality. I'm strong. You know, I'm a powerful woman in regard to, you know, how I, um, you know, how I behave, how I manage myself. And he just destroyed me. Um, and the final, the final thing was, if he does it one more time, I'm going to ring the police. I went into the garden. I was shaking like a leaf. I rang 999 and I said, I need you to come and help me. And this time, don't leave this man with me. Please don't leave this man with me anymore. Um, and they did come. And then they said, do, we, do you want us to arrest him? Um, and I just said, please don't make me make this decision because it's on me then. And um, if it's on me, then there could be repercussions or I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I know I looked broken because I caught myself in the mirror. And I, the police officer was about my age, so around 40. And he looked at me and he went, I'll make the decision. I'm going to call it for, um, you know, for... Um, um, criminal damage. Um, he, he got no charge, in effect, um, from that. So in the meanwhile, while all, all this was happened, you know, anyone who works in education knows the workload that, you know, you're under as a senior leader in school. Well, you know, he was doing his best to kind of destroy my job. I felt like um, I was training as a therapist. I felt like he was sabotaging me every day. So I wasn't doing well. Um, I was also doing all, all of his work on an evening as well because he wasn't in a mental you know, place to be able to cope with his own workload. So I was doing two sets of workload on an evening. And I just was broken emotionally, psychologically. He never hit me, but he would cause damage to me by throwing things um, at me. But for me, it was the emotional and psychological abuse because I literally didn't know what my reality was. I thought that it was me. I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. I didn't know if I just couldn't cope anymore with life. I didn't know if I'd had a breakdown. I didn't know if I was, um, you know, ill myself and I was kind of, um, you know, had gone mad. It was just all so confusing to me. But the minute that I had him arrested, I blocked him on every platform and I made my decision he wasn't coming back because I just, it was him or me at that point. And I had a non-molestation order against him. Um, and um, that, that was kind of it. It was like I cut him out like he was completely dead. Um, and it's the only way that I felt that I was going to be able to cope with that. And for three days straight after, I, I was at work. So I went straight to work after all that, after being up all night, did my job. And then it was Easter holidays, I remember. And I literally just sat in silence for four days at my house thinking the enormity of what I've just done. I can't believe I've faced this on my own. I've done it. But again, like Ruth, I didn't tell anybody, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone really until it got to a point where I had to tell my employers. And I think we're going to come to talking about that a little bit more later on in the show. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Katie, amazing. You are so brave, like Ruth, just to get out of your situation. Um, to make that decision and well done for sharing your story because that is what we need to do. And the thing that you, you speak about is this idea of powerful women, Ruth, you, Emily, who's about to talk and me, we were and are powerful women. We are educated. We don't come from this, this, idea of what people think or that whole 
um, the, the context that a lot of people believe that only domestic abuse happens in families like this. We are powerful women. I think as well, Flora, I think what's really important to, to, to add is that on reflection, obviously I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, you know, I've had therapy to kind of like process what happened, but I actually almost think that the more powerful I was, the more the situation escalated. So the more I challenged and said, this is not acceptable, you're not going to treat me like this, I can't do this, this is not okay, um, it's almost like the worse he got because oh, the challenge was there and it, it, it added fuel to the fire. Now, the bit I didn't add is that when I threw him out uh, and said, you can't come back and actually never even came back to collect his belongings because I wouldn't allow it, I asked for his dad to come. When I started packing all his stuff, I actually found a wheelie bin and a half of empty alcohol bottles and cans. So he'd been secretly drinking as well. So as all this was getting worse and worse and worse, you know, he was obviously become like a secret alcoholic as well. So I think as I challenged it and said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to cope with, I can't cope with this anymore. And I think he must have seen me decline as well. Um, I do have alopecia and my alopecia got so much worse, you know, and I was saying, look, I'm losing my hair. Like, this isn't okay. This is not acceptable. Um, you know, you're going to have to go and get a flat or you're going to have to go away from me. I can't deal with this anymore. You know, that it, it did definitely make it worse. And I think if I'd have been a meeker person, you know, I think that he probably would have quite liked that really. And um, he could have almost used me as a, it almost became quite um, parasitical kind of like relationship because he was just drawing upon all my strength to kind of make up for his weaknesses, if that makes sense. But in the end, it's just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, abs abs that, that makes perfect sense. And the whole idea of, yeah, absolutely, you challenging or um, trying to confront him made his anger worse. And yeah. I think in my situation, that was exactly it. If I challenged, it would make the situation 100 mm -hmm. times worse, which mm -hmm. is why I became this submissive, you know, shadow of myself mm -hmm. when I was at home. Mm -hmm. um, I think it can also push you into doing things that you wouldn't normally do. I mean, I'm a peace-loving person. I'm not a violent person. I'm very kind. I'm a very gentle person. Uh, but he actually, you know, in the end, pushed me to a point where I, assault, I did assault him. I did do that because he was destroying my stuff and destroying my home. And it put me in a place where I just came out fighting. You know, and that's a terrifying place to be because actually that put me at serious risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that also then makes you think about women who are in that situation. Like you said, it makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. It makes you react in ways that you wouldn't normally react. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been shows about women who are in prison because they've suddenly reacted and actually ended up killing their partner um but you can understand where that comes from i used to think about that on a regular basis i used to think i really understand how people crack i really get that um because you're at a point where you are literally in survival mode and you feel like your whole world is going down the drain you know your personal life's destroyed you your know, confidence is destroyed you don't know if even what you're living is like a reality or not because you're told constantly that this behavior is only because you're an awful person it's because of the things that you say it's because of you know this and that and in the end i did say to a close friend of mine um 
who um, you know is a really a, a top guy, surgeon, really calm, really controlled person, really trustworthy. And I rang him and I said, I need you to help me. Uh, do you think I'm a crazy person? Do you think that I'm really out of control? Do you think I'm unkind? Do you think I use words that you know make people feel upset? Because I started to think, am I really the person that I think that I am? It had me questioning everything. And that's a terrifying place to be because then, you know, you're exhausted. You kind of don't feel that you're doing as well as you could at work. You know, your whole world crumbles around you. It's just the scariest, scariest thing. And I used to stay at work till, you know, seven o'clock at night. Um, you know, I'd stay till they threw me out. I had a 45 minute drive home. And then if I could get away with it, I'd just go and sit in the car you know, for hours on end with a laptop doing schoolwork, you know, you know, doing the HCP, you know, uh, writing or whatever in the car, you know, in the dark on a laptop, just so I didn't have to go home, you know, and there were times where I thought, uh, you know, if I just wrap this car, you know, if I just, you know, pull off the road, if I just drive a bit too fast here, if I just take this corner a bit too quick, maybe I could just crash the car, I wouldn't have to go home, I could have some time off work, I could get my head straight. But the thing with education is, you never get time to sort out your own stuff. You're always thinking, what I need to do to tomorrow, tomorrow, right, I'll get to half term, then I'll sort it. I'll get to Easter, then I'll sort it. I'll get to, but then you get to these points, and you're so exhausted, you just flop. You know, so it's almost like this merry-go-round from hell of just trying to survive. And also, once you get to those half terms and any evenings and those breaks, as an educator, you're constantly thinking about everybody else and the children in your care and everything. So, so much that you're talking about, Katie, Ruth has even mentioned in the chat, you know, about the fact that so much resonates. And even though all of our stories are different, we have so many similarities. So thank you, Katie, for sharing that. We're going to come back um, in a minute. But we're going to go to Emily, and um, Emily, I'm just going to get you on. Hello, Emily. Are you there? Hi. Good morning. Yes, I'm here. Thank you for having me on the radio program. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us, Emily. So you've heard Ruth's story. You've heard Katie's story. Um, you'll know my story because I know we connected on Twitter. But can you just introduce us to you and a little bit about your story? Yeah, thank you. Um, and there are certainly things, you know, that resonate from the other two stories with mine. Um, I'm 38. I am um, a deputy head of a small primary school in um, Yorkshire. Um, my story really started with the relationship breakdown from before um, the abusive relationship. That happened just at the start of my final year of university and I went home to my mum and dad's. It's probably relevant to share that it was a same-sex relationship and my mum and dad had found that really difficult actually. And so our relationship between my parents and I was quite strained. After a year of deferring my studies, I went back to university, but of course all my friends had graduated. They'd got jobs, they'd moved on. And I moved back into halls. Um, and there, there were obviously, as a fourth year teaching graduate, some differences between the freshers that I was living with and I. And really, I began to feel quite isolated. Um, for a bit of extra cash, I got a job in a pub. And that's where I met my abuser. Um, he was a drinker there. And after shifts, um, I would usually get the night bus home. And one night, he said he was collecting something from a friend's house nearby. 
and um, he would give me a lift. So I agreed and uh, we went to his friend's house. I waited in the car. He came back to the car and, um, you know, it was, he'd picked up a large amount of cannabis. Um, And at that point, I should have run. I should have run for the hills, really. Um, But we don't always make the right decisions. And um, he took me home and he asked to come in and he began to sort of organize this cannabis and start smoking it in my university room and later into the evening it became really clear that he was not in a fit state to drive anywhere um so I said that he could stay and um I made it very clear I mean by this stage I hadn't you know had intimate relations with a man since I was about 16 um, and I made it very clear that that was not what I was interested in. I even used the phrase, you know, if, if that happened, I would cry. It would be the, awful. Um, he did it anyway. Um, and he made it seem like, because I hadn't directly said no whilst he was doing that, that it must have been consensual. Um, and he went to the pub where I was working alongside my teacher training and told them that I'd slept with him and I had such deep-seated shame that I just didn't argue it and somehow you know there was almost this pressure that I was going to be his girlfriend and I just let it happen um I slipped into that role where he took over everything um as I graduated I got a job in a local school still with him but he was um he, he didn't like me to uh, socialize with people. I wasn't allowed to go out. I was quite isolated. I wasn't able to communicate with my family because of my previous same-sex relationships that they'd found so difficult. I didn't want to go back into the closet, I suppose. So I didn't want to tell them and I didn't want to ask for help. Um, it, it rumbled on and, you know, there were, there were moments where he was very physical um, There were moments where, you know, he broke my fingers, he stole my car. But when he wanted to go and buy drugs, he certainly spent all my money on on drugs as well. And I just felt worthless all the time because those things that he was saying really were um, making me feel like I was the one to blame. He, um, he, He and I stayed in that house for some time and then... At school, I was just trying to pretend that everything was okay. Managing my NQT year, I felt amazed that somebody would trust me, somebody who, you know, was being told every evening that they were incompetent, that they were stupid, that they were all sorts of, you know, highly sexualized slurs. Why would somebody trust me with these children? But my head teacher did. um, And it became this cycle of go to school, stay at school, just like Katie said, as late as you possibly, possibly could. And I remember walking up the hill to our house then. And as I would go home up that hill, I would have this terrible turmoil in my tummy of what am I expecting this evening? What will be there when I get home? Um, We stayed together for about another two years before one of his friends girlfriends actually because I wasn't seeing my friends by this point and I wasn't really seeing my family um one of his friends girlfriends said to me what are you doing Emily 
you're intelligent, you've got a good job, you don't need to stay here. Because part of what he did to control me was tell me that nobody would share a house with me. I couldn't afford somewhere to live by, by myself. I was 200 miles from my family. I would be homeless if I left him. Um, and his friend's girlfriend said to me, if you can ignore him, if you reach out, people will care, people will help. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, there was a horrible two months where I had to give notice on the house, but I had already told him that I was going because it was a shared lease. So I couldn't um, just end it by myself. So I ended up sleeping in the spare room for two months on an air mattress, doing my marking, surrounded by all of our boxes, um, with him usually drunk or stoned outside the room, screaming at the door, um, banging on the door. He made up a song that was all about how terrible a person I was, that he would sing well into the night. And, you know, he, he really was determined to ruin my reputation. At one point, he actually came to the school at collection time. Um, he shouted in front of my colleagues. He shouted in front of the parents. He shouted in front of the children. He called me some really sexualized slurs and said that I had, you know, used him for his money and that I had no morals, basically. Um, thankfully, as you would hope, my head was absolutely amazing at the time and my colleagues were really supportive. Um, and after that two months was up, I did manage to get somewhere safe and have managed to really rebuild my life. You know, that was 12 years ago and I am a lot happier now, you know. My, my career has obviously progressed and I am married and in a relationship that is much, much healthier. But there are elements of what happened to me that perhaps are a bit of a stain on some moments that I have with my now wife. The moment where she reaches towards your face and sometimes you might flinch or panic about something. Those irrational fears that, although I know I'm no longer in that situation, they're always a little echo in the back of your brain. Um, I suppose that's it really, you know, that, that's the whole of my story. I hope that was helpful and that, you know, if people are hearing that, it will be helpful to them. It is so helpful and thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your story. I know it was difficult for you and, you know, thank you so much because the more we talk about this, as we keep saying, the more we realize that it's happening and how many of us, I know it happened to me when I started talking about my story. I had people, I had people who are overseeing me, um, who said, stop talking. You can't talk about this stuff. You're going to lose your job or, you know, you've got to keep silent. And that is the problem. The problem is the fact that we aren't talking about this and we need to get it out there. We need to make people realize this is happening everywhere. This is happening more than we realize. People have come out of the woodwork, as Ruth said, as I know Katie has said, and Emily, I'm sure that has happened with you as well, that the more we're talking about it, the more we have people come out and say, it's happened to me too. And that's why we need to share these stories. So thank you so much, Emily. And I think all of us as we're talking are starting to realize how many similarities there are, how many 
things are different, but that there's key core components that are similar across all of our stories. We talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot, a lot about the substance abuse um, and this trauma that we now have. So as Emily was saying about how when now she's in this lovely relationship and, and everything's wonderful, that even when someone goes to touch her face, it's that instinct, that flinch, that trauma that somehow we will get over, but it will always be within us. Um, and that's something we just need to realize, but we will rise, we will. <laughs> um, and the more we talk about it, the better it is. So what I wanna come to now is, we've shared our stories, but what I wanna talk about now is how can schools, but not just schools, how can businesses and employees, how can they support their employers who are going through trauma, who are going through these relationships? Um, and I think generally just how are they supporting employees who um, are dealing with any kind of issues within their relationships at home and have to come in every day to work and be their very best. I know Katie's school was fantastic, but I have had some horror stories of how people have been treated at work um, when things happen. Um, so Ruth, can I come to you? Um, and I'm going to unmute you. Um, can I come to you and just say what kind of advice would you give to schools, businesses, um, any employer? Oh gosh, now this is such a, uh, this is a tricky one to answer because my employer, I mean, I, you know, I work for ITV. It's a, it's a big, it's a big company. There are hundreds and hundreds of people, departments, you know, people in, in offices and regions that you don't necessarily know. And I think uh, what has been an eye opener for me in my particular case is that my employer has basically said to me, look, Ruth, first and foremost, we didn't know what was going on and you know I'm, I'm still learning uh, I learn every day gosh just listening to Katie and Emily so many similarities so different so many differences in our stories but so many similarities so much common ground and I'm learning every day my employer now has said look we're willing to learn from you but what you need to do is, is communicate to us tell us how you feel because we can only help you if we know what's going on so for example I, you know I've said to them look you know most of the time I'm fine but there might be a day when I come in where I, I'm not fine and I'll go and, and I'll go and disappear into the toilets for 20 minutes and cry and, and you know come out with my face all, all sort of red and puffy and and so I think it's that understanding that I'm still learning how to deal with this and process this and and you know access the, the sort of the help and the support out there and, and yeah my employer in a sense needs to sort of be on that journey with me and and it's just letting someone know an employee a colleague know that okay everyone deals with things in the in, in in a slightly different way trauma is a very personal thing and you know how how i deal with it might be a very different way to the way emily deals with it or, or, or katie you know there's no there's no set pattern there's no rule book to this and i think the only way that employers and employees are going to learn and and deal with this and make this better for people is by talking about it, by first of all, okay, recognizing it in ourselves or, or in a colleague or an employee, and then and then 
you know, it, it's it's a journey that we have to sort of go on together and, and, and hold each other's hands, really. And like I said, if, if there was a manual, um, then gosh, wouldn't that make life so much easier? If there was a, a rule book and, and, you know, 10 steps to sort of getting through trauma, then brilliant. But, and maybe there is, I don't know, but, you know, I, I just think we've got to learn together and everyone's different. But I think if there's understanding, education, um, empathy, sympathy, um, then that goes an awful long way. It really, really does. Yeah, absolutely. That empathy um, and sympathy. Um, and that's how places of work should always be because we never know what's going on behind closed doors. So, so true. And at the end of the day, we are all, we're all human and we're all trying to get by as best we can. And we have added traumas that uh, thankfully not everybody has. And, you know, good gosh, let's hope that most people don't ever have to go through what we do. But we're human at the end of the day. And, you know, my, my boss in particular has, you know, he, he's, he's, he's not been through anything like this. He's a man. You know, we live, come from very different worlds. But what he said is, please talk to me keep me in the loop, let me know, it, uh, understand, you know, I understand if you need to go home, if you can't, you know, if you can't perform, if you can't function, and if you can't, you know, get through the day, then tell me, talk to me, we'll work something out, and we'll deal with it together, and, and I think that, I, I don't know what the exact answer is, but my, that's exactly what my advice would be, is, you know, never forget that we're all human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, so, so important. Thank you so much. Um, Ruth, I'm going to ask you one final question because I know you've got to leave at 12. So I just wanted to say, so you were going through this for 20 years, hiding it from everybody. Is there anything that people who would have been around you at work would have been able to spot or any signs or anything that you think people should be aware of with their colleagues? I think um, for me, as I said, it was the sort of, it was spotting that I was withdrawing from them in a sense. So, you know, when the girls went out for coffee or if they went for lunch, went out to, you know, to the supermarket to buy a sandwich, I stopped going with them because I wasn't allowed to go. I didn't have the money to go. Um, visible signs uh, I think Katie said you know alopecia I lost my hair started falling out my weight plummeted physically I I look back now at some of the you know some of the pictures some of the, the television broadcasts I did and I looked frankly unwell and it it, it, it people would, would sort of tweet and, and say oh gosh Ruth, you know losing weight and doesn't look you know looks ill what's the matter is everything okay and I think there was a combination of sort of visible physical factors and and I, I did I declined very very visibly very very quickly over the years and uh, you know I think for colleagues now obviously hindsight is an incredible thing isn't it and and they've said you know there's a guilt now that they have to live with because they didn't ask they didn't spot the signs necessarily or perhaps they did but didn't feel that they could almost confront me with them I mean to, to, to confront a colleague or an employee about their intimate relationship their marriage as, as it was in my particular case you know that's that's a very very intrusive thing to do but actually I think if your gut is telling you that something perhaps isn't right actually asking it might not be nice and it might not be appreciated but you know, it could actually set the wheels in motion then to encourage someone to talk. You know, if someone had asked me why I was losing weight, why, you know, I wasn't coming out, perhaps I might have felt able then to maybe just start, start sort of 
engaging in that conversation start putting out that okay maybe everything isn't right and you know it's softly softly and it's not an easy thing to do it really isn't because it is intrusive and this is such a personal thing isn't it but um yeah I, you know I had physical signs I had the isolation and the just stripping away of everything that I was about the bubbly friendly outgoing charismatic person disappeared somewhere over the years the good thing is though she's coming back now and, um, you know, in, in talking about this and uh, listening to, to, to Katie and Emily and realising how very different our stories are, but how similar, you know, the, the sort of the foundations, the building blocks are all there. And I, I know I've got to go and I'm so sorry about that because this conversation is so fantastic. And I'm going to go away feeling, first of all, feeling that I'm amongst friends here and that, um, again, how, however different our stories are, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet in a sense and we're all really telling the same story and thank god that we are here and able to to do that and we're strong and we're getting stronger and you know i would love to keep in touch and and i'm on twitter and and please find me please let's just keep talking keeping this conversation going and, and i just i send so much love t- to all of you out there and um you know i'm just really grateful Oh, well, thank you so much ruth for being with us this morning really really honored to have you and your story is going to help so many people so thank you for coming on this morning and you're living your best life now so go out there and i will thank thank you all i'm learning as you know i think emily's in a new relationship we're all life goes on and you can go on and have life after coercive control and domestic abuse you can have a happy life and that's that's the whole point of this is that you know that's what we all deserve and and i wish that for each and every one of us and thank you so much for having me and you know i'd I'd love to talk to you all again i really would definitely we'll keep in touch thank you so much thank you have a great day Oh, amazing. So if you haven't seen uh, Ruth's show, which was Controlled by My Partner, The Hidden Abuse on ITV, do go and um, watch it on Catch Up um, on the ITV Hub. So have a watch of that and lots more in there, which you can take away about coercive control and understanding um, the impact it has and yeah, maybe a bit more about how to spot it in your colleagues to understand what's going on. And as Ruth said, it's about asking those questions, challenge, ask questions. I think for people who are in leadership positions as well, often we're the ones who people don't ask about. So, you know, are your colleagues okay? Are they really okay? All right, we're gonna go to the ads and the news um, from our wonderful sponsors. And then we're gonna come back and continue the conversation with Emily and Katie, a bit more about how to spot the signs, what we can do to support, and how schools and our employers can help support us. All right, here we go. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more.
Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us... You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. FE Week reports on Ofsted findings following new inspections within the sector. Recent inspections at three colleges found that standards had not slipped in the decade since their last inspection. All three colleges retained their outstanding grades. The three colleges in Yorkshire were last inspected 10 years ago, but the latest reports highlight the high standards that have been maintained over time. The inspections took place at Notre Dame Catholic Sixth Form College in Leeds, Barnsley College and Greenhead College, both in West Yorkshire. Outstanding colleges are subject to full inspections for the first time this year since 2010, after an exemption was lifted. In Kent, the Isle of Thanet News website reports on the opening of Phys Lab at St Peter's Junior School. The purpose-designed hub within the school grounds enables children to enjoy hands-on experience in exploring the world of physics and general science. The hub was opened in partnership with Ogden Trust. Nathan Williams, the school's award-winning science lead, says the opening of the hub had been fantastic and that children and staff from the school and those from partnership schools we're looking forward to exploring a range of scientific learning opportunities. The hub will also be accessible to local schools, not in the partnerships. Cameron Ogden, chair of Ogden Trust, stated, Physics as a subject has huge importance. We are determined that everyone have access to inspiring physics education. Many media outlets report on the arrest of three people on suspicion of involvement in female genital mutilation, at an unregistered school in Birmingham. 
Police, prompted by Ofsted inspectors who had reportedly found a locked room containing medical equipment and a bed, searched the school. Ofsted inspectors were originally following up reports of an unregistered school, but concerns were raised about possible illegal practices, so police were called in. In recent weeks, the Department for Education has announced an increase in powers for Ofsted inspectors so that unsafe, unregistered schools could be shut down. Good Housekeeping has published advice for students in managing their finances. The information on their website includes advice on how to access additional support, eligibility for tuition fee loans and maintenance loans, as well as the implications for repayment. It also outlines other funding pots some students may be able to access. As the cost of living continues to rise, the website reminds students and parents that the deadline for student finance for new students is the 20th of May. In South Africa, the Minister of Higher Education will table a budget for the department's strategic vision for the coming year. The budget will focus on COVID recovery and provide fully subsidised financial support to students. It will also help to increase participation rates amongst people with disabilities and women. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello. This week, we're going to take a look at the much-coveted presentation clicker. It's a must-have device for a lot of teachers out there, as it allows you to move slides whilst AFK. For those new to 2-Minute Tech, AFK is away from keyboard. Ranging in price from £8 to £30, this classroom essential allows you to stretch your legs and make a few shapes while you dance around the room. Some of us have a mandatory piece of blue tack over the built-in laser pointer. Others have invested in a bit of duct tape, so we ensure the device meets health and safety regulations. And most of us have a small stash of AAA batteries in a secret place that we never admit to having. Well, Clicker, I'm telling you to stand aside. The mini wireless multimedia keyboard is taking your place. Having a lower price range of £8 to £15 and being able to do everything that Clicker does except blind pupils, as it has no laser pointer, and wait for it... It is rechargeable. You have full keyboard and mouse control from anywhere in your classroom. You can move slides on, alt-tab to switch applications, type, use spacebar to stop and start YouTube clips for questioning, battery life is quite honestly ridiculously long, and if it runs out, a five-minute charge on USB lead will get you through your lesson. All I can say is if you're considering replacing your clicker or are simply a gadget magnet, this is a must-have. Search for mini wireless keyboard in any online shop. The only thing I say is get one with a light-up keyboard if you present with the lights off. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Katie, I'm going to come to you. So what advice would you give to um, schools and employers? about what they can do to support those who are in these situations. And again, I'm going to reiterate the fact that we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, I had someone say to me when I told them my story, they said, I thought you had the perfect life. And I think we become so used to portraying this perfect identity because we are trying to hide what's going on so much. So Katie, what would you say? 
Um, so I think if you don't mind, I think it's best for me to kind of like tell my story in relation to kind of how school helped me and the agencies and the support workers and things uh, um, supported me to kind of move on um, because there was a group of people um, that provided me with the support that I needed and my school were particularly helpful. So I think if I tell you that story, if that's okay, um, that can kind of give like a blueprint maybe for other people of what can happen to support you on a multi-agency basis alongside your school. So for me, after um, after my partner was arrested, um, some people will know, some people won't know that you will be contacted by, you know, a domestic abuse team. So and what you might not know is that if you refuse to kind of engage with them, uh, they kind of hound you, which is great, because at the time I was hiding from them and I was thinking I'm not being abused and I've just got this partner who's really ill and nobody really understands. But I think in my heart, I kind of knew. Um, so they kind of hounded me until I engaged and then they rang me on a weekly basis. So they were ringing me, they were checking in with me um, and they were saying, you know, are you going to leave? What's your plans? You know, and, and in a way they kind of, they very um, carefully kind of pushed me towards leaving. Uh, and that's what they did. They didn't force me, they didn't tell me that was what I had to do, but they were sowing the seeds, if you like, to support me. That was the first kind of bit of help. Um, and at this point, um, I had a particularly bad morning where my partner was throwing things around the house and I had to teach online. So you can imagine, um, I live 40 minutes away from my school. I'm due to start teaching in 30 minutes, you know, 40 minutes. And you know, my partner's in crisis, smashing the kitchen up, you know, it, it, terrifying. So this particular morning, I just got in my car, I drove to work, I turned up, the head and the deputy um, were kind of like looking at me as I walked in the door as if to say, hang on, you're not supposed to be here. It's locked down. What's happening? You know, and I thought that I was just going to be able to walk in my classroom, switch my laptop on and get down to some teaching. And that was going to be my plan for the day. But actually, the plan was very different. The plan didn't turn out how I wanted it to. I got through the door. I saw the head and I looked at him and I just broke down and I just stood in his office just sobbing. Like um, anyone who knows me will know that's not really how I am. I kind of um, suck it up, buttercup is kind of how I am about myself. Uh, I just crack on with things and, and, and that's how I kind of cope. Um, but he, he took one look at me and he said, what's happened? And I just said, I can't, I can't do this. I can't teach from home. I can't. And then everything came out. And um, I felt instant shame. I felt like it was literally professional suicide. I thought, this is it. No one's going to respect me anymore. And it couldn't have been different. Um, I worked for Outward Family of Schools. I'm happy to say that because of the support that they gave me. Um, and they just said, right, what do you need? And I said, well, I'm just going to go in my classroom. And I'm just going to teach. Um, and they said to me, no, you're not, actually. So you're going to take some time. That's what do you need. So at that point, that gave me permission to be out of my house. They said, come to school, don't be at home, because it was a kind of, do you want to take time off? And then, of course, it was like, well, no, because then you're at home. Then that's like worse. So um, I went into school. They allowed me to go into school, but I wasn't teaching online. So that was the first thing that relieved me of that pressure of teaching. And I kind of just got on with SEN stuff, you know, um, and they didn't hound me. Now, Ruth was talking about sympathy and empathy. Well, I didn't want any sympathy at all but I did need empathy because um, I felt like I didn't want to be the victim. So these two guys, the head and the deputy, they didn't give me sympathy. They kind of, they kept the distance because I think they kind of got me as a person, but they were there and they gave me the empathy and they said, right, if you need time out to see a solicitor, if you need time out to speak to the domestic violence team, we can make all of that happen. 
They gave me links to um, the employee assistance program. They provided me with free therapeutic intervention. And I cannot recommend this enough because I think a lot of us, we access or, you know, we start our jobs and, and part of the perk is that you get this assistance program and probably hardly anybody ever uses it. They saved my life because... I literally rang them desperate and they said, right, we're going to get you into therapy. And I had a weekly session with this guy who built me up enough to leave this man. You know, and without that, you know, it would have been really hard for me. So that was something they did as well. They provided me with that. Now, the employee assistance program also created like a safety plan check-in. So they were ringing me like every day just to check I was okay. And it was like lockdown time as well. So I needed it, you know. Uh, I felt quite embarrassed about it, but it was it was good. So my my employers gave me, you know, empathy, but not sympathy because I didn't want to be a victim. They provided me with that opportunity to, to be able to see my solicitor, to be able to take time out to write a statement because I applied for a non-molestation order. If you don't know about those, you need to get educated about them because they can help you. Um, that prevented my partner from coming like, you know, down my street for six months. I had to take him to court but it did make me feel a lot safer. You know, the, the bailiff served the notice, but I did have to write, you know, a lengthy statement. So my employee, uh, my employer allowed me to have that time. Um, they allowed me to have the time of um, going to see the um, Blue Door, it was in my case, um, the domestic abuse support charity. And they cut my workload so I could cope, you know, and they didn't, I didn't feel like they told anybody. I just felt like they just let me be. And that's what I needed. They didn't ask me loads of questions. They didn't make me feel uncomfortable. They just let me be, but they gave me the space I needed. Um, now I think there's a book that I would really like to recommend to listeners. Um, and I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's called the freedom project living with the dominator and it's by Pat Craven. Um, it's a book that goes through a range of different controlling, coercive and violent behaviours. And it gives like each type like um, a label. So there can be like the, the dominator. And then there's the, um, you know, the names you know, off the top of my head uh, that don't come to spring to mind. But, I, you know, everybody's given a different label. So I went through this book and highlighted everything that my partner did to me and then thought, oh, my gosh, this is really bad abuse. So that woke me up. And I would recommend that any, any school, any employer, any therapist, anybody, you know, friend, educate yourself, get a copy of that book. It's an easy read. And actually, it might just twist some people from, you know, thinking they're just in a bad relationship to actually accepting that, you know, they're living with a, an abuser. Um, so I would recommend, you know, any business to, to, you know, any school to get that book and have it on the shelf, you know, in staff rooms, because it was a game changer for me. Oh, brilliant. That is really a great recommendation. So yeah, note that book down and get that in. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing that. And your school was clearly so supportive. Um, and that's wonderful. And that's how schools and employers should absolutely be. Um, but I've heard such horror stories about some people coming out about what's going on um, and taking time out and the school's not being supportive so what I will what I will say sorry Flora is just okay. I can just add is that you know in the end you know the shame despite the fact the school was great to me I did feel in the end that you know I 
just wasn't the same person and that I felt embarrassed about what had happened to me. I felt ashamed that I'd had to go in and cry in front of the head and, you know, obviously be this kind of victim. And because that doesn't fit with the personality of what I perceive of myself, you know, that that really it upset me. And, you know, I did actually hand my notice in that summer. So, you know, all this happened at the Easter time, you know, the end of it happened. And then in the summer, I did put my notice in and you know, there are some regrets there because it was an amazing school and I have to say an amazing trust to work for. Um, but at the time, I just felt that, you know, I was ashamed and that people knew about it and it did scar me, you know, and it added to the trauma. So the, the impact at work was huge for me. So despite the fact that people were really helpful and they did put the right things into place for me and check in on me, you know, and be great with me, I did still feel that it damaged my career. It damaged you know, how I felt I was perceived at work. You know, I'm sure that was from my perspective, but I can see that other people would definitely feel the same too. And I, I did leave the job that I loved, you know, and that in the end was just yet another form of abuse from a perpetrator. Yeah. And, you know, what you say about shame, we should not be feeling as though we are the ones who are at fault. And this is why we need to talk about it so much because we are the victims and we're human. And as Ruth said, we need to remember everybody is human and everybody goes through something. And obviously our stories are extreme, but the more we talk about this, the more we get it out there that this is happening behind closed doors. You also talked about the fact that, you know, you were going through and highlighting all the things that were actually happening to you. And I want to reiterate to anybody listening that if there's anything that's not right, if there's any control in a relationship or any type of abuse or anything, it's not okay. And we're here to show you the other side that you can get out and there is help. And the more we talk about this, the, the better it is for all of us. So thank you, Katie, for that. I'm going to go to Kate, um, to Emily at the moment. And Emily, I'm going to ask you the same question about the support that schools um, and any employer could give. Hi. Um, yeah, obviously, my situation um, was that my abuser came to school. And so very quickly, the whole school community knew um, what I had been going through and I felt like it was really public and I have to echo those those feelings that Katie mentioned of shame that although I shouldn't have had that shame you know it wasn't me doing this to myself it was somebody imposing this on me um, I did feel very very ashamed um, and it took a lot of time my head was really an advocate for me you know amongst the school community and obviously took the steps that you would expect in that circumstance, you know, such as he was not allowed on site, police were called, and several services stepped into support. I have to, to say the employee assistance programme, again, similarly to Katie, stepped in and were fantastic. I think that's one thing that employers can do that's really quite simple, is making sure that there is a safety net of support because actually I didn't want to go into the details with my colleagues. I wanted somebody who was a little bit removed from that situation that I could speak to on a regular basis. And the counselling that I got through that was absolutely fantastic. 
I also think there's, um, you know, things like the timetable workload adjustments are really, really helpful if that's what's right for you. For me, I actually almost wanted to hide from the situation. It took me, um, gosh, a good year or so to actually admit to myself that this is what was going on. So whilst, yes, I was leaving, I just buried myself in work and wasn't quite ready to, um, you know, take time to work on me immediately. What, what I did find was that where I had previously been really isolated, things like um, Ruth mentioned, you know, friends going for or colleagues going for a cup of coffee at lunchtime or going to pick up a sandwich. I never had the money to do those things either. And suddenly I was able to join in and my colleagues started to notice that I was more willing to do things. And one of the big things for me from being in a situation where actually I wasn't able to go out with anybody they started to invite me to exercise classes and things and do you know what I was in that phase of I'm free I can do this and those little invitations when I had been so isolated I felt like I didn't have any friends left and because I was feeling ashamed I didn't necessarily want to reach out to those people then the colleagues saying to me come to Zumba come and try boxercise. I tell you what, I've got absolutely no rhythm, but it was the best thing that could have happened for me because it gave me a, more of a community that I didn't have before. Yeah, brilliant. I love listening to that. And yeah, because this is how we're gonna end on this idea of freedom. So listening to everyone's stories, I think we can all spot the similarities. And if you're working with any colleagues in school, maybe you've noticed some of these, some of these things, the, the um, withdrawal from activities, um, withdrawal from going out for lunch, not having money. All of these are so similar in all of our stories. So look, listen, and just see that everyone around you is actually okay. So we're gonna end with happy endings because we are all free. We all have new lives, new relationships, and a completely whole new perspective on life. So we're gonna end very quickly because we need to wrap up in a few minutes. But Katie, I know your life has ended in almost a fairy tale. So do you wanna just end on a final note of what there is for people in this situation at the moment what can they look forward to I think you know when you're in that situation it's so terrifying you just think I'll never have the confidence again to kind of go out there and meet somebody I didn't feel I had the confidence but you know out of the blue came this wonderful wonderful kind man um, and we met kind of um, last September and it's been an absolute whirlwind of um, just happy times. And we have just bought a house together and I've just put my notice in at work and we're starting a whole new life together. And um, despite the fact that I'm still, you know, there are some trauma um, things still there for me. You know, if there's any banging of doors, you know, I'll, I almost drop to the floor. You know, it's definitely PTSD responses and, you know, anything smashing or anything like that you know, he's very understanding and he's really taken care of me. And I just almost feel like 
to get to the point that I'm at now, it was almost kind of worth getting through the hell, if that makes sense, because I've come to the other side of the mountain. So my message to anybody listening today, you know, who's in that situation and feeling like I'll never get away from this. I literally thought I'll never get through this. I'll never get to the other side. I'm never going to meet anybody. And, you know, once I found that courage and strength to just push through and just get there, you know, there was something wonderful waiting for me at the other side. So I do urge anybody in this situation, please talk, speak to people, you know, confide in people. Uh, and there is a better life out there, 100%. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Katie, for being a part of the show today. Mm, you're welcome. Emily, I'm going to come over to you and happy endings. What, what is your life like now and your final piece of advice? Um, yeah, I, I similarly have found my happy ending. I've now been married for three and a half years to a wonderful woman who looks after me. And, you know, it, it took taking that step from the darkness and realizing that there was a whole world of light out there. Um, my advice would be um, just make the most of your freedom every day you know I I was frightened I was frightened of that Zumba class I was frightened to actually go out and try new things and to rebuild my life and each step has made me stronger and has taken me on that journey to the happy place I'm in now absolutely thank you so much Emily and thank you both and Ruth for coming on to the show today sharing your stories and getting our, you know, our stories out there. Because as we keep saying, the more we talk about this, the better we make the situation for everyone, because the more we give a voice to those people still in this situation. You know, Emily, Ruth, and Katie and I, we are the lucky ones. We've gotten out of this situation and we are so aware that there are still people living this situation day to day, minute to minute, we know. So if you've listened to this and you've spotted signs or something resonates with you, please get in touch, reach out to somebody, talk to someone. Or if you think someone that you work with may be in a situation like this, talk to them, find out what you can do, be there, support, ask those challenging questions and make sure that they are okay. Thank you all so much for listening today and do join the shows later on that are on today on TTR radio. Remember to follow us and to tweet out at hashtag TTR 2022. And again, follow us on Twitter, reach out, DM us, we're here to talk. We're here to give you support. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And yeah, get out there, shine on, and make sure that everyone you meet today, you check that they're okay. Be kind. Everybody has a story, and you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Thanks so much. See you all soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.